Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we ask that your Holy Spirit be with us. You alone know what each one of us needs, and you alone know what we as your body of Christ needs today. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. We don't know what the future will hold, but we have some very, very good news, and that is, is that God has the future. God has the future. Sometimes we know what the short term is, and it doesn't look that good. But let me confirm to you and promise to you that Jesus Christ said, I have the future, and he does. We are sitting here. Some of you feel great about what the future holds for you. Some of you are a little wobbly. We went to um, see the production of Mary Poppins for the kids, and the kids who were involved in that show at Bel Air High School from this church did an outstanding job. And I remember exactly what it felt like to be the star of a dramatic production. That was my first calling in college, was to be in drama. I know this is shocking to you, but it was. And I remember the exact feeling when you come off a successful play and have the accolades of the whole world, nothing looks brighter than the future. So what I say to you kids who did a wonderful job, hang on to it. Hang on to it, because we know that the future can be scary, especially in short-term events where it looks like things are not going our way. And that's exactly how the disciples felt. They had gone through so much, and they didn't trust the future at all. They were trying to deal with information that there had been Jesus sightings, resurrected Jesus was wandering around. And they had endured so much despair at the time of his crucifixion that they no doubt carried images of horror in their heads. And they were barely coming to grips with what happened when they heard and received reports that Jesus had actually risen from the grave. And while they were talking about this, the disciples with some eyewitnesses, Jesus showed up and Jesus himself suddenly stood among them and addressed them. And he said, peace be with you. And the peace that he was offering was so profound, but their anxiety wouldn't let it come in. The peace that he offered was deep peace, molecular transformation Peace, peace that alters the tissues of the brain, peace that allows for deep breathing, peace that actually can end war, and peace that claims the future for God and brings relief to the soul. And even though that peace was there for them, it wasn't there for them because they were so caught up with what happened. So when they heard the words, Peace be with you. They were startled and they were afraid and they thought that they saw a ghost. But when people go through a crisis where the worst that could happen actually does appear to occur, the emotional predisposition to see the good in anything just goes away. And we all know those people and we know those parts of ourselves 
that go to the most negative place no matter what good news there is. Hope was taken away by the trauma and they were still traumatized. So when the person of Jesus suddenly appeared, it felt like more bad news, not relief. Thinking they saw a ghost, he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your mind? And then he shows them his resurrection body and he gives us entry into something that is so special and so profound, which is actually what happens to us when we die if Christ is our hope. We will have a resurrection body and it'll be familiar, recognizable as we shall see because he shows his scars and Christ exemplifies what resurrection body is but they didn't recognize him. And it's because maybe it was just too good to be true. And there will be some differences. Resurrection body is not the same as earthly body. Resurrection bodies are of a new and different substance. They are eternal. Therefore do not hold within them properties of death, like illness, like deterioration. Resurrection bodies are fully alive not ethereal and not wispy and not insubstantial. They're as different from ghost-like as we can possibly get. And from my experience, and I'm talking about personal experience with death and afterlife, I've always had a problem with the words afterlife because in coming home to God, however briefly, it was real life, true life, actual life with Christ. And James has these words in scripture that life is but a vapor, a wisp of smoke, and about a year or so after the death experience, that passage wouldn't leave my head. I didn't even know I knew that passage. But I've been hesitant to make real life begins with afterlife because it's a bad theme. This is the life God gave us, and he gave it to us as a gift. And it's a gift to be embraced. The whole of it, the pain, the joy, its contrast, its depths. And he says, not only do I give you this gift of a life, but I'm saying to you, live it courageously. In all circumstances, offer my unconditional love to the world. And there's a way to do it, and that is for the Holy Spirit to convict you that the unconditional love is for you. And once you know it, then you can express it. It's the love that never dies. When we love, and there are scars, and there will be, it's not an if. If we love, there will be scars, because there will be woundedness. Those scars are what is our eternal And those scars are beautiful. Love may hurt. No, love will hurt. And love will scar us up. And agape love is strange and it doesn't fit into this world, this life, all that easily. It is unconditional, meaning when we get hurt, we love anyway. And it's often so private that nobody knows about it and it goes unnoticed. And it goes against the grain of revenge. And it often simply does not make sense at all. 
Agape love is how he loves us. It doesn't make sense for Jesus Christ to love us all the time, but he does. Knowing we are loved in this way gives us a fighting chance to offer this extraordinary love to each other and to the world. Well, I have a very dumb example, but it kind of gets the point across. This is an animal example. I have Woody the cat, and I left him in my house while I was gone for a week. And he got excellent care when he was in my house. Someone visited him, fed him, played with him. But when I returned, he was still mad. Yes, cats can get mad. And he bit me three times with his sharp little teeth breaking the skin. And then, after the biting was over, he decides to become his lovable self again. But I didn't want him. I didn't want the lovable cat and threatened him with going to the Vanderkeef farm forever. (laughs) But then I realized that that would mean he could frolic in the sunshine and eat well and have a barn to keep him safe and he'd have the beautiful meadows of the Vanderkeef farm. And that was not a punishment at all. And I also knew I wasn't really going to get rid of him. So I decided... And you know exactly what this is. So I decided that even though he had been horrible, just to love him anyway. Just to make the choice that doesn't make sense based on his past behavior. Love him anyway. It's what the Holy Spirit leads people to do. To love our kids, to love our family, to love our friends, to love the ones we barely know anyway. And I hesitate to put the love of Christ and the love for a cat in the same sentence. But the love of Christ is not contained and allows for the love of all creation. But let us make no mistake about this. The intent of Christ's life on earth was to love all humanity with an intense, piercing love that left him scarred so that we could be redeemed. To his disciples, he said, see, it's me. And I have the scars to prove it. Look at my hands and feet. And he showed them where the nails went in, in the crucifixion. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. And he showed them. And they still didn't believe. Maybe they didn't want to risk believing after all that had happened. But then he asked them for something to eat, and they knew his eating habits. They had had many meals together. This was familiar stuff. He ate in their presence, and in this mundane, everyday act, they knew that Jesus, the human being, was with them. And then their eyes were opened, and they could see Jesus, the divine Savior, and they saw how scripture about him, how prophecy was fulfilled. And then he opened their minds and told them about the body of work that was to be their life calling. Tell the people to turn to God. Tell the people to repent. Tell the people to recognize that they actually do sin. Tell the people that it's okay to have some regrets because that is what brings you to your knees and brings you to God. Tell the people that they must receive the forgiveness and receive his grace. Turn away from the lies of the world. Turn toward the truth 
and in that act know that he will forgive it all. He is the one that opens minds. We can do everything that we can possibly think of to try to convince people about the love of Christ, but he opens minds to let this in. Love and forgive as one who has been loved and forgiven. And when we discover the other people, the other human beings who know what it's like to be forgiven by Christ, the other human beings who know what it's like not just just to touch grace, but to internalize it, we find that we need to stick to each other like glue. And it's called his body, the church. Let us pray. Dear and precious Lord, thank you for what you have done in Christ Jesus. And we thank you in his name. Amen.